Hello and welcome to In Orbit, the podcast exploring how technology from space is empowering a better world. Brought to you by the satellite applications Catapult. I'm your host, Dallas Campbell, and in this series, we'll be in conversation with some of the finest minds in the country, exploring all the ways that the UK is using space to make huge differences to our everyday lives, as well as gaining a better understanding of its role in shaping and sustaining our planet for the future. In today's episode, we will be discussing sustainable finance and how, alongside data insights from space, this initiative can be a key tool for promoting sustainable development and combating climate change. I'm joined in the studio by Daniel Diaz. He's the founder of the company Route 2. We have Christoph Christian, who's the head of the Spatial Finance Initiative at the Oxford Sustainable Finance Group, and Christian Rossi, geospatial science lead at the satellite applications Catapult. Now then, what do we mean when we talk about sustainable finance? Well, it's complicated, but basically sustainable finance refers to financial activities that take into account environmental, social and governance factors in investment decision-making. So promoting sustainable economic growth while minimizing negative impacts on society and the environment. Satellite imagery can be a very powerful tool for supporting sustainable finance decisions, providing valuable information about the environmental impact of investment activities, helping investors identify potential risks and opportunities, and monitoring the impact of sustainable finance initiatives over time. Last series, we talked about sustainable finance as an emerging industry 18 months on, we're exploring how the demand for data has grown and what new technologies can be exploited and what's next on our journey. Welcome, Daniel, Christoph, Christian. It's lovely to have you in the room. Daniel's looking very serious. <laughs> it's an important topic. It is an important mm -hmm. topic, isn't it? Well, we, and it's interesting, we've done this podcast for a, a long time. Uh, uh, Christoph, you were here before. Exactly. So we were so, trying to work out how long ago it was. So important we talk about it again. Yeah. I'm interested to know in the 18 months or so since we last discussed this topic, well, I wasn't here with Sarah doing it, what things have changed. I kind of think if you take mums as general benchmarks of understanding that, that's not a bad place. If your mum was in the room, explain to her <laughs> for <laughs> what it is you do. So we at Route 2 are helping companies and investors quantify, value their impacts and try and become more sustainable is what we do as a company. I understand that. That makes sense. Christian, geospatial science lead at the Satellite Applications Catapult. Here we are. You're based here. That's correct. Yes. Uh, what is your day-to-day yeah, the, the Catapult, I manage research activities linked to the geospatial sector. So this is also called remote sensing and yeah. observation. I'm also a lecturer at the University of Oxford where I teach remote sensing. So that's, that's, the, nice. that's my expert area. Great. And most, most recently I've been also, I became an associate research fellow at the Center for Greening Finance and Investment, yeah. where Christoph is also working with. And Christoph, just to remind our listeners, they will have all listened to the other episode, I'm not, sure. Not but multiple just times. I multiple imagine. times, yeah, exactly. As my mom did, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. But just remind us, just for the one or two people who didn't, who haven't listened yet. 
So I'm uh, at the University of Oxford uh, working for a research group focused particularly on sustainable finance, on the Oxford yeah. Sustainable Finance Group. I lead our innovation and kind of spatial finance, spatial data activities. Previously, I was at a catapult. So uh, it's great to see many colleagues here again today. Uh, and a lot of our work is, 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 is focused on research, looking at what are the data sets that you need or should be using to actually properly account for uh, sustainability issues in financial decision making. Great. Park that thought. We are going to come on to that. Actually, my first question before we get on to sustainable finance, I'm quite interested in what unsustainable finance is, and then and then maybe we can move on from there. What what would be a good example of unsustainable finance, and, and why the change, I suppose? I think all finance probably today is unsustainable. Basically, and you know what? What does finance yeah, what, mean? What, do you, what does that? Well, it means from like you know investment activities to banking activities, pension funds. Every all all of it is unsustainable. In what sense? In a, in an environmental sense? In a social uh, sense? In, in a... both? I think. I think it, it's the outcomes of financial transactions are leading to you know environmental degradation, social inequality. So fundamentally, it's it's unsustainable. Yeah. Every time. You go to the bank. <laughs> it's unsustainable. Okay. I put my card in. I get 20. Not that I do that anymore. Does anyone? I mean, we've kind of cash has sort of vanished of late. But anyway, and is that because profits traditionally have come, have trumped everything else? So people have concentrated on, on, on making money and not really thought about the effects of that? I think people generally, a lot of people think about it. But once the money is in the system. Yeah. It is a complicated system and it is allocated to the outcomes that deliver the financial returns without thinking about the kind of environmental and social consequences. So I think most of us in the room would be hoping that every time, you know, you are involved in a financial transaction, it wouldn't lead to an unsustainable outcome. Mm. But it does because it's such a complicated global system. That's the key word here, isn't it? Complicated. I mean, the financial system just seems like a great Gordian knot of interconnected things. I don't know. How does one navigate through all this? I don't know anyone who does. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's complicated and interconnected, but I think we need to start somewhere in different parts of the system. About lending, which is a very different activity to when you invest in a company on the stock market or when you provide insurance to someone. Mm. And these different types of financial activities, they sh ideally should all take into account not just the financial impact or the financial gains or losses mm -hmm. of what they're doing, but equally the environmental, the social and the governance mm. uh, considerations that come alongside this as well. And I think that's, in theory, the definition and point of sustainable finance is how do you integrate sustainability issues or the thinking around those in day-to-day -day financial decision-making, be it as a bank, be it as an insurer, et cetera. And that's what we're trying to get to. But it's a very, very long way. Yeah. What do we mean by sustainable finance? I mean, wh why do I care? So you just go and imagine you deposit £10 in your high street bank. You know, not that anyone does that anymore. It will be probably, you know, the, a portion of your uh, your wage you can divert to your Monzo account. Yeah, your £10. And um, the question then is, what happens to your £10? What, what happens to your £10 and what happens to your £10? Well, tell me what happens to my £10 at the moment. Because well, I don't, you know, I had a sight out of mind, my £10 and then I go off and do something else. I'm not thinking about But what do you think happens to your £10? 
It's a really good question. I don't know. I, banks do what banks do, which is invest, and I hope wisely, so my bank doesn't collapse, and my ten pounds at some point will be there if I need to get my ten pounds out with a little bit of interest. Yeah, and but they typically will then pass that responsibility on of that ten pounds and investing that ten pounds into, say, you know, uh, an institutional investor. Potentially, you know, yeah, so yeah, so now yeah. your bank has handed over your £10 to another party to invest that £10 somewhere for you. With sustainable finance, for me as a customer, will I have a choice? I mean, I have a choice already about which bank based on all kinds of factors. Is the idea to have banks, for example, I mean, other things as well, investment companies, but banks to have a, a, a clearer picture of what happens to my £10 so that so that they can say, well, actually, we don't invest in companies that chop down trees in Brazil, for example, and and we can see that. Whereas at the moment, it's a little bit hazy. We're not too sure. Yeah, exactly. I think that it is very hazy. People don't, you know, fully understand that. Both the banks and the consumer putting their their, their ten pounds in the bank. But even if you don't invest in that company that is going to chop down the trees, is that they have a supply chain. And the companies that they need right. will could possibly be doing the chopping yeah. down of the tree. So it is such a complicated network. What we need is for high street banks to take more responsibility to, in my opinion at least, to kind of understand the trail of money and the impact of it. And I think understand and communicate to their, their clients who, who ask for it. So you can go and ask your bank in theory. You cannot go and ask your pension fund, where is my money invested in? And in theory, they should, or ideally, they should be able to give an answer because if you are a, a caring consumer on the high street and actually you care about animal rights, so you actively consume certain things, that's a conscious decision you make as a consumer. But if you don't think about where your savings and your pensions are, they're probably invested in companies that do animal testing. They're probably invested in companies, if you don't eat meat, that produce meat or, or in those supply chains. But guess what? We've got this new tool earth observation we can actually see things and rather than companies just saying oh yes we're all very ethical we can actually hold yeah, companies not, to a, account and go well actually we can see and we can it's not a panacea though you know it's one tool yeah. and, and it improves what we do but it requires it needs to be one tool in a complement of tools that allow us to achieve that goal yeah yeah I, uh, if I want to spend my 10 pounds in a chocolate bar, for example, I'm looking on the chocolate bar whether there are some certification, whether the, you know, the chocolate has been sustainably produced without deforestation and so on. How do they do that without observation? They use our technology for that, right? And that's, that's it. That's the power of it. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, are institutions becoming more receptive to the idea of parking, just making money as a goal and actually trying to expand but in a way that's less environmental and, and and more socially responsible that's a good question that's why we are here so we are trying to educate uh, institution financial institution in uh, understanding how, for example how can we use this data satellite data in uh, driving their decisions so in getting environmentally good decision so are we investing in a company that is doing good or is doing bad mm. so we can see this from space which is a fascinating thing yeah. right? so we can we can have a picture of what is happening and then we this can be used for their decisions right uh, at def different levels so government investors industry that's the power of it mm. i'm going to come into space in a minute i just want to i'm going to i just want to sort of start on the ground route two this is your 
company, Daniel. Just explain the origins of it. And I'm interested in why it happened in the first place. Did you notice, did you sort of sit down one day and go, you know, crikey, this isn't working. We need to fix fix all this. Yeah, pretty much. But it, And it was driven by deficiencies in accounting systems because that's the kind of systems in which capital typically is allocated. Money, not capital. I'll try and de-jargonize this a little bit, yeah. So within financial accounting, it's very myopic. It only captures everything that has a kind of price and a transaction within a, a kind of formal marketplace. And the result of that is that everything that's actually brilliant about the planet goes missing. Mm. So if that is the case, if accounting is flawed, then how do you kind of correct it? And you can correct that by quantifying and integrating all these impacts that companies have back into their P&L, their profit and loss, and mm -hmm. into their balance sheet and create a whole new picture of accounting. How do you measure that, though? How do you measure... I mean, impact seems to be sort of quite a... Well, not vague, but a, an imprecise term. Uh, yeah, how does one quantify something like impact? That's uh, yeah. That's a challenging question. So there are some frameworks. Those are those are also called ESG, environmental, social, governance framework. Yeah. Where uh, rating agencies are giving scores to companies. And who decides whoever. the score? Like who's the who says right? You've done that. That's a nine. The rating agency, and that's that's the issue actually that we have the different agency. They have different scores. So there is a sort well, of like a. A disagreement here. Well, that's what I'm curious. Is there a kind of a unified way of approaching the scores? Is, like, is there a sort of central body that says that, okay, this yeah, is... Yeah, th there is increasing level of convergence around how you quantify certain yeah. impacts. So, mm -hmm. for example, greenhouse gas emissions that contribute to climate change. You've got a standard out there called the Greenhouse Gas Protocol. And more and more companies are reporting according to that guideline, right. which allows you then to compare yeah. to some level. But the problem is, is that there are so many categories in that and it's self-selection. So companies can say that they will just be uh, quantifying this part of my greenhouse gas emissions and they won't bother about these other parts. Yeah. So I think the key point is that that guidance is forthcoming. It's still, to the most part, around the easier things to measure, such as greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. And what we're talking about here is our impacts that are you know, more diverse, wider than just greenhouse gas emissions. And in that area, you don't have that level of standardised reporting. No. So it becomes more difficult. No, that's interesting. And companies or in, uh, people who invest, is there a genuine desire to, to do good? How much of it is greenwashing? How much of it is virtue signalling? Look at us. How much of it is 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 real and and Everyone's looking at each other going, I don't know. I think we know the answer, maybe we shouldn't say it, but I think a, a lot today is is either definitely virtue signaling and to some degree greenwashing. And I think you asked earlier, yeah, to what extent are companies or investors actually, you know, starting to care beyond the purely financial. Yeah. And what they've gone really good at or become everyone's become really good at is saying they are or pretending they are or committing to nice uh, goals and, mm. and commitments, either to be net zero by 2050 or to be nature positive by, I don't know when. But that reputation is a good currency now, presumably. You would think, but still there's a lot of kind of announcement and, and virtue signaling happening. And then particularly alongside some like coalitions of, of, of investors or companies, once they move from 
announcements to, okay, actually, this means we're going to take this in that action. You're starting to see a lot of either reluctance or pushback from many of those signatories. There was a good example, I think, after COP26 in Glasgow, where a lot of uh, investors and big international banks signed up to be in zero by 2015, one of the first things that they would then kind of sign up to in their race to zero or, or however it's called, would be to stop financing coal power stations, which is one of the relatively easier things to do and is the most polluting source of electricity generation. And already kind of having to commit to something tangible as part of that, being part of that alliance, quite a few banks actually didn't feel comfortable anymore and decided to pull out. So when things become serious and are actually impacts on, on how they're operating, you do see a lot of kind of hesitance at least and mm. the masks fall off to some degree. So there's a lot of work to be done in that space. And actually the point of greenwashing that you mentioned is also increasingly becoming of interest to the various regulators in different countries and jurisdictions. In the UK, for instance, HSBC was recently uh, fined for an advert that they put out where I think they made out to do that they invest really sustainably, but it actually was to do on a, a tiny fraction of their investment portfolio or their lending portfolio. And therefore the marketing or, or, or uh, advertisement authority mm. actually uh, decided that, you know, this is uh, deceptive, this is not correct and they, they find them. So, and that's on a kind of just purely marketing side of things. There are financial regulators starting to crack down on greenwashing, which is also starting to link to what does it mean to be sustainable and green, mm -hmm. which is more and more becoming uh, put in, in frameworks and, and policies, etc. So there's, there's some interesting developments happening there for yeah. sure. Let's talk about space then. So how can space and Earth observation, how can that help to do what you do to create more sustainable finance? Well, from our perspective, one of the biggest problems is data. When you're trying to quantify impacts, um, the data tends to be of a low resolution and pretty much out of date. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking about impacts on the ground, um, whether it be water pollution, deforestation, even greenhouse gas emissions, air pollution, all these kind of things. Just, just to be clear, so you're, you're, you're using that data in order to see bad things happening or it could for whatever. Specifically, that's exactly what we do. So we're, yeah. we're trying to quantify impacts and you're using these data sets to estimate the impacts on the ground yeah. created by companies and entities. Yeah, that's, that's what we do as yeah. a company, Route 2. The data that we typically lean on is generated from organisations like the FAO, Food and Agricultural Authority, the World Bank, or ONS, the UK's statistical department. And that data tends to be not very spatial. So you don't actually, it's more of a national statistic versus it being a kind of spatially resolute statistic. Mm -hmm. And quite often or not, they're, they're reasonably out of date. So it's impacts that happened, say, two, three years ago. Right. So the interest for us when working with the Catapult is, is one of, look, actually, there's these new data sets that are coming from Earth observation technologies mm -hmm. that could provide greater spatial resolution. So the impact's happening right here at this spot on mm -hmm. planet Earth, which is fabulous. And it happened, you know, maybe two months ago. Yeah. And that's such a huge improvement in the data that we would then be able to deploy that it would then improve our analysis. And the result of that is you would improve or exert greater pressure Got it. on the stakeholders of sustainable finance. But Daniel, actually, do you, in your analysis, also use the uh, information the companies themselves report? Yeah, we do, in, but we use it carefully. You know, so disclosures, company disclosures around impact, um, 
again, you have to be reasonably cautious about because it goes back to the point we made earlier of to what standard are people reporting this information on. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful of what's disclosed and how you interpret that. And it's always better then to have a reference point, which is what the data from Earth observation gives you. Yeah. You reconcile those two things and you come up with a more um, accurate picture of impact on the ground. So from a technological point of view, better the cameras or better your satellites, the more resolution you have, the better job that you can do. But personally for us, yeah. Yeah, this, this data is very powerful. So at the moment, there are thousands of satellites flying over us yeah. over the world. And they can capture really almost every information that is that you can think about the Earth. So uh, Daniel mentioned forest, water, soil is another, um, air. So at all levels, right? And uh, we can see every spot on Earth almost at any time, day, night. And you can think this being like a super powerful, no? There is a potential issue that uh, Daniel was hinting, which is like the quality of the data, right? So is this good, is this bad? Which is what we are trying to, to figure out right now within these frameworks, the financial, the sustainable finance framework. And this is part of our job. For example, the project that we will do together is just looking into what can we do with, with this sort of data. But, but this data is there and it's really, powerful mm. um it's it's there for free also everybody can can have it you know it's um it's is, is it, uh, is, am i right in thinking that the the more resolution the more resolution the more expensive it becomes and anyone can access fairly low resolution data but if you want to get you know tens of centimeters then it suddenly becomes a bit more expensive. That, that's correct. So we, we typically split the world into public data from space agency and commercial data from, from companies. And the main difference is linked to this resolution. So centimetric resolution, literally, you know, 20 centimeter <laughs> uh, is, is very expensive. So while um, tens of meters, it's, it become, becomes free. But also here we need to figure out is maybe it's enough to have like tens of meter if you're looking at something big. But then if we want to see the single car, then, yeah. we to go, then we need to go into another type of data. That's interesting. I thought maybe it'd be useful to have a, to take an example. Do you have an example that we could look at to say, okay, the, well, this is a company that we're working with. We use this kind of data and we've seen this and therefore that leads to that. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, you two are working together. We, we are beginning to work together. The interesting thing for us is that, so you can take an area of land and you can see how that area of land is changing in its land cover, its composition, the quality of the land, right? So if, if you take a pristine forest and then, you'll, yeah. then you've got earth observation data that just is showing you that that forest canopy is changing. It doesn't necessarily have to be, and this is the, correct me when I'm going wrong here, but... Um, it picks up qualitative changes as well as quantitative changes. So it's not just deforestation, but the data would be able to tell you actually the canopy isn't as healthy as it was maybe a year ago. Oh, so we can actually look at the quality, the quality of something like the tree canopy. And is that just looking at the colour, for example, or are we looking into the soil or what? I, I really don't know how they do it, but but I'm. It, because that's crazy. We look, we look at, at some physical problem. We look at the quantity of chlorophyll in leaves, so which tells us, yeah, the color, for example, how green is the plant, but also how, how, healthy, my valley. how healthy. Okay. Um, so it's linked to this specific parameter, wow. which we can measure from space, not looking only at the colors, but looking at different yeah. part of, of this data. And water as well. Presumably you can look at soil moisture as well. As that's 
Well, I mean, that's it. I mean, so there's, so you can see an area, yeah. and then how refined that area is depends on, as you say, the power of the of the um, satellite and stuff like that. But from our point of view, from a kind of understanding business impact point of view, is that you can see something is changing. Mm. Then the question is, who is responsible for that? Mm. And that is also not an easy question to answer sometimes when you have say four or five different kind of companies operating in the area doing slightly different yeah. industry how activities do you, how do you navigate that so exactly so there are a number of things that we're working through of you know so who would be more likely to be responsible for that change in that land cover is the question you then ask yourself and then it becomes more of a statistical analysis to some point so you know something's changing you've got five or six actors that could be responsible right. and that's the extent of the work that we'll be doing with the catapult is trying to figure out a, a robust method to do that and obviously the better your data the more precise your detective work can be in in trying to sort of un understand understand things yeah that's correct i'm looking it's uh it's on um, a coal mine in in russia that's mm. the largest one just writing a paper about about scientific that's a research uh, about that so and uh, that's a huge coal mine right so what i'm looking is that i'm looking in time how land changed and uh, uh, what has been let's say moved from something that was natural to something that was not natural so for example a, a forest that becomes a mine or a crop that becomes i don't know a group of houses right so this is something that that, that i'm monitoring so the land changes this is one thing but not only also is this mine operation polluting the water which is then uh, you know downstream uh, through a city around there so this is another another area mm -hmm. Is the soil where where this area uh, is is present degraded? So we can look at soil carbon. So it's another parameter that we can see from from space. And what about the atmosphere? Um, is there lots? Are there lots of emissions like methane emission, carbon dioxide emissions? So big greenhouse gases. Combining all of this together, uh, we can create sort of environmental scores. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is a work that, that we will do that we will do together. So just looking at this mine, uh, I found out, for example, that this mine was polluting uh, in 2020. But then I, I suppose the government or somebody, you know, said you're doing something bad. And just looking at 2022, the pollution decreased a lot. Decreased. So decreased. Yeah, that was a good that was a good environmental outcome. So, but with that observation, we could see this like a big polluted area in 2020 and basically in water and no pollution in 2022. So that's good. But on the other side, we have seen deforestation, which is bad. And we've seen also lots of methane emissions. So it's all a balance here of yeah. understanding what's, uh, how an operation like this mining area behave in the environment. And, and what you're trying to do is to, is to score this, for example. That sort of impreciseness, is there a kind of, would you get like a kind of a, a traffic light system or something like you might get on, a, on food, like a sandwich, for example, that kind of encompasses lots of things? I'm just, because there seems to be so many different bits, like one score for one thing doesn't necessarily mean it's all terrible because you might get a good score for something else. I know, I just wonder what the what the format might be. I mean, within our company, then each impact is quantified, and then we assign values to it. So economic value. So a negative impact, we uh, assign a, a cost to it. 
you know so and there's this you know with carbon there's social cost of carbon i don't know this is getting technical now yeah. but it's similar to what you're talking about in in as much as that it's a economics orientated weighting system so some impacts are worse than others yeah. some are better than others yeah. and that is all signified by economic values that you assign to the impacts mm. but the outcome is kind of what you're talking about i.e this is good this is medium this yeah. is this is really bad something like land you know coal mines forests i can envision how that would work i can see how that would work but what about so in inner cities, if we're talking about social equality, for example, how on earth can space data, you know, identify problems and, and solutions? Housing. So like quality of housing is also a pretty interesting. So you can actually look at, and this didn't go crikey, that, that area looks well, like yeah, I mean, can, a new build's gone up, therefore good things are happening. Well, yeah, but those new builds don't necessarily have to be like what we class as a new build. It could be an extension of an area of low quality housing where you you understand the living conditions are pretty poor, you know, so you can see how urban expansion and the, the form of that urban expansion can be picked up through earth observation as well. And as far as I understand it as well, it's not just urban environments, but actual social movements as well, which yeah. I think is fascinating. So migrations and stuff like that can yeah. be picked up through. Yeah, something else that we can see is the temperature. So we can see how hot is a city, right? And uh, in my department in geography here in Oxford, uh, several students did the correlation between uh, areas in a city that are like poorer than other areas and this temperature, right? Mm -hmm. And we found out that there is a, a really a good correlation there. Like the poorest area, they're the hottest. I guess it's because yeah. there are less parks, uh, um, there are, yeah, you know, housing are like heating more. But again, with, uh, with Earth observation technology, we can see, just looking at the temperature, we can scan uh, the, the city and uh, understand which areas are poorer. That's really interesting. And presumably as well, you can just look at the way cities form. I mean, a, a favela in Brazil is going to look very different to, you know, a modern, um, you know, city in, in industrialized, Europe or America, wow. And so you as experts in this field, <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm interested because it's, it's such a new thing. And I'm just interested in your experience and working in it. How is it to be involved in something that is so new and trying to create something that works and is, is going to be of value? Is it just an absolute minefield or do you have a kind of clear path of where you want to end up and what it wants to, what it, what it should look like? I mean, I, you know, we've been working in sustainable finance for 25 years. Okay. So I wouldn't say that that's new. I think it's becoming more of a topic. But with that, it loses a lot of its gravity because everyone's talking about it and it loses some of the teeth that is necessary for finance to become sustainable. With Earth observation specifically, it has huge potential and from a data perspective, but that is the project that Route 2 are working on with Catabolt. This is, so I'm no expert in how we integrate this. I just see huge potential for it, as I think, you know, both Christoph and... Well, it, it's, it's the tool. Suddenly you've yeah. got this tool which actually works. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, 25 years ago, you wouldn't have had that. And so exactly that journey from 25 years ago, is this the thing that's going to really revolutionise the way that we do finance I think it, on Earth? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of them. I think it, it, but there's so much data. So there's a lot of 
machine learning, AI, and all these other kind of technologies that the Catapult would bring to the mm. table, as well as our own internal team as well. So it's not that on its own. It needs to be combined with other technologies. But compared to 25 years ago, the tools we have at our disposal today mm give me much greater hope that actually these ideas that we're developing could be deployed and will actually get the outcomes we want. So that's encouraging. Yeah. And is the direction of travel for finance companies or investment banks, et cetera, are they aware of all this? Is, is it like, you know, electric cars? It's like all car companies are now getting rid of petrol and we're going to have batteries. It's just that's that's the way it's going. Is this the way it's going <laughs> for banks? Finan- uh, no, is the, is the short uh, answer to that. I think the... While this is, I think this is all very new and, and interesting, the potential is huge. It means the challenges on on making the potential materialize, and there's a few uh, challenges. I think both on the financial services side as well as on the geospatial data side. On the financial services side, there's an awareness issue, but I think that's getting better. People mm-hmm. are becoming more aware of the fact that they need to understand uh, environmental sustainability issues in a much more granular. Uh, way. I mean, everyone's talking about it, but it means that many people who talk about it don't know what they're talking about. So it's try, how do you get you know, some of that They need to go and study at Oxford and the geography well, I mean, they should all department. come and study at Oxford, of course. <laughs> um, but the, 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 so they, I think, so, 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 so as that kind of, as the market becomes a lot more, or says they're becoming a lot more green, yeah. it means they actually also need to build the capability and capacity in, in banks, in pension funds and whatnot to actually understand sustainability issues properly, understand the data sets that can inform them properly and deal with those. So there's a capacity and awareness issue in the financial services side, which is being built, but there's a long way to go still. Are they sort of nervous? Are they worried that we're not going to make as much money if we go down this route as we as we would do? Is I mean, yeah. And can we get sustainable finance to a point where everyone's happy? I don't think that will ever be the case. Um, I think it's impossible. But I think the very nature of sustainable finance means that you're going to have to be paying for things you weren't paying for before. Okay. And therefore, if everything else remains equal, that has to mean that profit margins will be, you know, smaller. But, you know, finance is, there are clever people within finance, right? So there are some very interesting new instruments that are being developed in securities and all the other kind of methods and tools of finance. So it doesn't necessarily, there are ways to drive capital to sustainable outcomes that are profitable. And I think, you know, that's what the three of us around this table believe, but we are nowhere near that. And what I think at least is that the tools that we're talking about with earth observation, geospatial, will provide the information that makes that more likely. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes sense. But also, presumably, you're all in the job of trying to persuade as well that actually this is really important. And, and, and then it becomes, as we said before, a kind of reputational thing where for financial companies to not do this would, would be seen to be bad, you know. Yeah, but then the other thing about finance is if you just take pension funds, for example, and the amount of money that's in pension funds and the kind of fiduciary duties of the people that are managing those funds, which is to ensure that in 20 years time, there is a retirement fund for the person that's been saving or been uh, contributing to their pension. And to do that effectively, you just you try and reduce risk, which means this idea of you know diversifying your portfolio, and basically it means that your money is everywhere, mm. you know, to mm. try and de-risk these pension funds, you know, and the result of that is 
it's very hard for, say, a fund manager or a pension fund to look for this sustainable finance when there's risk involved mm. versus, you know, the kind of conventional finance that will deliver mm. the, the retirement fund in 20 years. So it is complicated. And I think our job, you know, the three of us sitting around here is trying to kind of, you know, put a circle around that square a bit. And because there are so many moving parts, but it's driven by signals in the marketplace. And those signals are all priced at the moment. If you can augment that with real data that's about the impact. Yeah, then that helps. I think one thing that we definitely need to either convince the, the financial sector more of is, is to kind of counter the excuse which you often hear from either pension funds or banks or asset managers that the data to do sustainable finance or sustainable data is either not there or it's not good enough. We talked about ESG ratings mm. earlier and there are many studies that show that these ratings are not actually very good or they counterdict each other. So everyone says, oh, we don't have good sustainability data to actually incorporate those into financial decision making. I think what we have here with these data sets and technologies is an example and proof that we can find alternative data sources that are transparent, that are comparable, that are you know, a lot more scalable and, and timely as well, which can provide an awful lot of information on sustainability risks and impacts, and that they can be incorporated if we as a kind of, or if the spatial, geospatial community can translate them and offer them in a format that is also relevant and useful for finance. Uh, I think another challenge on the, let's say the space supply side is, we often like to talk about how cool the things are we can see on a satellite image, but you don't answer so what question for a bank or an investor. It's not because, for instance, you can see urban sprawl, that if I'm a bank in the UK, like, what does that mean for me and my mortgage portfolio here? It doesn't mean anything. So uh, there's a convincing and kind of awareness raising piece to be done, but equally, uh, how do we get the geospatial space system uh, sector in gear and in line and, and offering solutions and products that fit or the answer to so what question that fit the, the requirements of, of the financial services sector. Which, which bits of the industry are, are, are most accepting of this new technology, would you say? And maybe which, which are the ones that are a bit more resistant? Ethical investing, obviously. So investors that are looking at ethics in general. Mm -hmm. So some pension funds, um, the Church of England, for example, as a pension the, fund. Who, which one? Church of England. Church of, I've heard of them. They, they have a, <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> they have a, they have a, they, there are many things. There we go, I'm going to start investing. I'll, I'll put more in the uh, collection yeah, box. Exactly. So they're obviously, <laughs> yeah. they're investing ethically. But that and, becomes uh, an, a selling point, doesn't it? For presumably for some investment companies. It's like, yeah, I think there are components within all of the subsectors of finance that are very excited about the potential of this. Mm. Um, the, the issue is, is they are still such a tiny minority, right? right. So, but if we as a group here can really prove the utility then and, and show how it works and how it can actually allocate capital and it does this, oh look, it's a profitable activity and it's actually you know, benign with regard to, then you know, people will follow that obviously. Mm. So I think that's what we're trying to do here is prove it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the education is fundamental. So That's it. It I, always comes I, down to education. Yeah, and and companies, it see, always seems they want to do what what is the thing, whatever the zeitgeist is. And if this becomes the fashionable, not fashionable is the wrong word, but if this becomes the important thing for consumers, then yeah, exactly. And that's why we need success stories. We need like something that it's like yeah. there to to be shown. Yeah, uh, I mean, Christoph, eighteen months ago, you did had a similar conversation on this podcast and I'm interested what changes you've seen in that time if any 
so, negative and positive. So I think in the, on, on the market side, on the finance side, I think we've really seen, as well as a growing number of commitments, a growing level of scrutiny and, and the greenwashing examples I mm. gave earlier are, are part of that. So this inherently is going to create, because the demand for green and sustainable finance, either from clients or you know people with pensions, is only growing. So while it's becoming harder to do with greenwashing risks or reputational risks, it needs to happen anyway, and there's a demand, so there's a market. So I think this is creating the the demand and the, and the need also for genuinely transparent, impactful products and funds and services. So, and to do those, or those will gonna require more robust data sets to underpin their analysis and their reporting, etc. So there's these various pressures and constraints are going to create the market and demand for spatial, geospatial products, I think. Another thing we've seen in the last 18 months, particularly is, you know, in sustainable finance traditionally, is, is a lot has been around climate risk and climate change. You know, many people have used those kind of interchangeably in climate risk, particularly around emissions and how do we understand which companies emit more or emit less. But what we're seeing now is actually a growing interest from the finance and corporate communities not just on, on climate and emissions, but equally nature and biodiversity. And we're, we're losing nature at an alarming rate. And actually we're also realizing that a lot of our economic sectors are very much dependent on nature, uh, services that nature provides, be it water or pollination, all these kind of things. So if we lose them, we're at risk of also having economic damages and losing financially, et cetera. So that awareness of the, the problem is, is growing in finance and the economy and, and many people are starting to also make great pledges uh, yeah. around those. And the kind of the, the analytical frameworks that are coming online to look at understanding nature risks and issues, they inherently build from the, the starting point that to analyze this properly, you need to know where your operations are, you need to know where your supply chains are. They start from a location specific analysis perspective, which is inherently going to drive the demand for spatially based green finance analytics and products. So, that's really the first time, I think, in a, in a framework that's globally got an awful lot of buy-in, the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, which starts from the premise of locate all your operations and your assets and look at these things in, spatially. So this is going to create a huge demand for any spatial products and any derived satellite satellite based information. So I think this is really exciting for the sector and something mm. they should. And, he, and should you've seen on. this change in the last sort of 18 months. Have you seen the, the speed of change? Have you or I think DNFD, sorry, the, so the task force for nature related financial disclosures wasn't announced was 18 months ago, roughly around that time. And they set themselves, I think, roughly a two year timeline to iterate different versions of that framework. And they're now about to publish. Mm. I don't know when is it in November or something? I think later this year, their final version of the framework. So that has evolved. Uh, there have been a lot of financial institutions testing this out, and there's also various case studies you can now find online. So the awareness of that framework and the need for spatial and location-specific analysis is, is, is really growing rapidly, yeah. driven by that as well. If I can just add two more things that, that's changed, one is the data. So we have new missions now that are focusing on uh, greenhouse gas, for example, at high resolution. They, they weren't there 18, 18 months ago, so... New missions as in new... New, new satellite, satellite missions, okay. yeah. yeah. So this, this is so the data availability, it's, uh, it's much better because the, some companies, private companies, decide to send satellites that are just focusing on our issues, right? So this is a thing. The other thing is the algorithms, the advance that we have in uh, artificial intelligence. 
So we all know ChatGPT now, for example. Don't it's get a, me started on ChatGPT. Yeah, it's honestly, just, just you know, like it's just it's just something that we <laughs> we were not thinking about 18 months ago, right? No, so we can we can do the the equivalent <laughs> translation into into our sector. So how can we use it with with data? And there are so many new algorithms there that that, that we're using. So those two. Well, just give me a sense. Of how important is okay if we fast forward five years time and we've got ever more robust data sets because we've got better technology and we've got AI and machine learning processing things, how much easier will your jobs be? A lot, a lot easier. I think having an impact profile that is underpinned by concrete data yeah. would be incredible. Are we going to get to a point where we get some real-time Earth observation data, you know, where... Is that? I mean, even if it was just six months out of date, that would be brilliant. So, I mean, yeah, I hope one day, you know, it would be real time. But there's kind of some negative consequences of that. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait a second, do I want exactly? No, I want but just something more timely would be brilliant. But I, but that I think in five years' time, if we can get to yeah. that place, it'd be brilliant. I think even I don't think we necessarily need to wait five years. If if you just look at the kind of the status quo today, or the in sustainable finance, the the bulk of the data and information comes from what companies report themselves, and that is typically in sustainability reports, which they publish once a year, at the end of the financial year or a few months after that, which tell you what the company has achieved sustainably over the twelve month period. That was kind of six months before they released reports. So. What we have at the moment is in a way of, the baseline is so low that even if we have information every six months, it's already a huge improvement. Yeah. As well as, you know, there's granularity issues because companies will report, they say, we have used 10,000 cubic meters of water less than last year. Well, congratulations, but what does it mean? Where have you used less? Where have you used more? Mm. Um, the granularity of these, these reports are also really, really low. And again, this is where increased granularity and resolution of, of additional data sets is already really helpful with what we have today compared to what we, you know, going to be in the future. It's just yeah, compared to what there is now available to finance, it's so not fit for purpose yeah. that anything is better anyway. So better technology, that becomes better. And then the visibility of that information in terms of customers, in terms of people, people will be able to see them and go, okay, I want to put my money there because I can see very clearly that things are getting better for that particular yeah, investment. Exactly. At the moment, if you were to invest you know, some money into a sustainable investment fund, it would be very qualitative. It would be based on a few reports and, and a fund manager saying, look, this is why it's a, a sustainable yeah. investment fund. Whereas in the future, you'd be able to have that report and it would yeah. be bang, bang. You know, and That's awesome. Yeah. Um, just finally, where, 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 am I, where should I put my money? Where, where, not that I have any money, but if I had the any Church money. of England, we agreed. <laughs> Church of England, Church that's, of like, that's where the smart money goes. Forget about <laughs> investing in uh, Twitter or whatever, or I don't know. <laughs> Church of England. No. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Maybe. Not yet. Maybe one day. Um, You'll be very cagey about about because we you, you know we to, you have to be we know well and also is that it's we we know the the kind of how evolved sustainable finance is so an ethical investment fund is not a sustainable investment yeah. fund it's ethical it means that you know somebody is making a decision not to invest their money in an unethical activity what's unethical to you Dallas what's unethical well all kinds of things are unethical but precisely but what you class as ethical 
and what Christoph will think is ethical and what I think is ethical. So it's very subjective, yeah. right? It's difficult to put a to put a pinpoint, but you know it when you see it. <laughs> well, there you go. Exactly. So, I mean, I think that's the problem is that, you know, ethical investing is different from sustainable finance. We're talking right. about something systemic, yeah. okay, with sustainable finance. Ethical investing has its place. It is the kind of early, the, the kind of seedling of sustainable finance, but it, we need a lot more than just ethical investing. Great. Daniel, Christoph, Christian, thank you so much for coming by. It's a really difficult one. This, it's a, I, I mentioned Gordian knots at the beginning, but actually just from a technical point of view, it seems to be the consensus as ever, the more resolution we can get from space, the more reliable data sets are from space, the better your work becomes. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank pleasure. you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your company. To hear future episodes of In Orbit, be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. And to find out more about how space is empowering industries between episodes, you can visit the Catapult website or join them on Twitter, LinkedIn or Facebook. <laughs>